Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. On this show, we watch a movie, we discuss it. It's a movie you can stream yourself. Uh, at the end of each episode, we announce the next movie that we're going to discuss so you can stream it and join us like a 21st century digital book club, but with streaming movies. I'm Dale Maxfield, your host. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Josh Dean. Yo. And Nathan McKinney. Hi there. And today we're discussing Josh's pick, Prospect. But before we do, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately, um, deep in our virus-induced cocoons. Um, I watched a Netflix series uh, called The Innocence Files. It is a nine-part brand-new documentary series that was funded and um, is sort of about the innocence project which is a group of lawyers basically a legal team that goes and tries to get people that were wrongly convicted out of jail um the nine episodes are about an hour each some of them are a little longer and they're divided into three sections so it's three episodes three episodes three episodes the first three are about uh people who are uh convicted on bad science like bad evidence so things like uh, bite mark evidence, which has been completely debunked, that sort of thing, getting them thrown out for those sorts of reasons. Obviously, DNA would be another uh, evidence-based reason. The second set is about um, bad uh, eyewitness testimony. You know, people that either have something to gain by giving that testimony or people that could not have seen what they say they have seen. It's it's so strange to think things like bite marks have have been thrown out because like really famous cases have hinged on that. Like that is literally the only evidence they had against Ted Bundy. Well, and that's where it started. That that's where yeah. bite mark uh forensics or whatever started was the Ted Bundy case. Yeah. And then that guy got really famous and the guy that did the Ted Bundy case is actually in this documentary. And he ends up uh, recommending to the attorney general of one of the guys he helped put away that they uh, they throw out his evidence that he was completely wrong. So even the even the the founder of the science is like, no, this isn't really a thing. Um, and then the third series or the third section of of three episodes is about um, basically uh, poor faith prosecutions. So people who are prosecutors who are um, either committing Brady violations by not giving the defense um, things that would exculpate their client or people that are, you know, running for office and refuse to look at evidence the right way or, are working directly with the police to, you know, make things more incriminating than they are, make their cases better than they really are. So it was a really interesting series. Um, I would recommend it to people that like true crime documentaries. Um, It's kind of like a couple of mini making a murderers. Um, It's not... The you know I talk about it being three separate issues and there's three episodes per issue. 
for some of them, like two out of the three episodes will be about the same case. And in other ones, it'll be every episode's about a different case or they kind of lead one into the other. So interesting stuff. Um, I know some people in uh, involved in the Innocence Project here in Kansas City. There's uh, a lot of people do it sort of uh, when they're pre-law, like as an internship. They'll work on the Innocence Project and try to help go through all the mail from inmates who may possibly have uh, a case to, you know, habeas corpus type of thing that they can look into. But that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of it. I haven't watched the very last episode of Better Call Saul yet, uh, for this season. Um, and other than that, it's pretty much all kind of the same thing. Um, I should mention when we get into it for when we get into it later that, I have recently rewatched The Wire, um, so I was able to recognize someone in the movie. But uh, yeah, that was for you, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> what have you guys been watching? I think this was my week to start really paying attention to a lot of junk television. Quite frankly, um, we did uh, Top Chef quite a bit this week. I've even watched a little bit of uh, uh, Survivor. Uh, we, we managed to finally get a, a CBS access code and, uh, I watched a couple of episodes of Picard. Um, I, you know, I mean, is there some nostalgia there for me? It's certainly higher production value than the original series, but I'm still waiting for something to happen. So, <laughs> but I, you know, jury's still out. I'm only two episodes in. Okay. Uh, finished the previous season to Better Call Saul, finally. So now I'm ready to finally start the newest season. Did things pick uh, up for finally you? Finally started working on... It was pretty much the last episode. I, I think I just have to kind of accept that it was a slow burn season. And I'm okay with that because it's so well done. Yeah. Uh, even on a slow burn season. Um, but I'm hoping the next season has a little bit more plot going on than just uh, repositioning the characters with their current dreads so yeah i i think this series is honestly it wouldn't be hardly anything if it wasn't for the mike herman trout character i love everything else but if it wasn't for his plot line through most of these seasons i'm not sure it would keep my attention quite as well as it it does see i think they do a good job with his plot line and i think they do a good job with nacho's plot line too especially in the earlier yeah, it was seasons good too. yeah mm-hmm yeah, I, I don't really have any complaints about it, but I, I did notice that especially this year because um, a lot of the the Jimmy and uh, whatever the female lawyers. Oh, Kim? Kim. A lot of their whole thing was okay, but it was kind of slow going. It was the Mike Ehrmantraut things that happened in the episodes that kept me going, oh, okay, this is something's happening here. Um, so enjoyed that. Yeah, he has the momentum in season four, um, whereas everybody else is kind of getting to a new normal and yeah kim and jimmy yeah. are trying to like figure out their relationship and dealing with the aftermath of chuck and all that so yeah and watched a uh there was a paste magazine uh they did an updated version of their ranking of all the mystery science theater 3000 episodes uh which i am nowhere near an expert on mystery science theater 3000 i've seen just random good ones and some that were not so good 
Um, so uh, we started kind of working our way back from the very first best episode, which I think was the final sacrifice. Okay, was their top one? I hadn't actually ever seen that one, so kind of working. That's Roused Hour, right? Yep, Roused Hour. It's pretty I wonder good. If there's beer on the sun. And all the all the Canadian jokes, yeah, lots and lots of Canadian, the Canadian jokes. tuxedo, and yeah. <laughs> so enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what the next one is that we'll watch, but there you go. Yeah, I've I've seen pretty much every mystery science theater. Um, there's literally one episode that has been lost to time, and that's the only one that I have not seen. Um, so. I have, I have, you know, there's, there's definitely tiers. There's episodes that I would recommend to everybody. There's rec- episodes that I would never want to watch again. So, and <laughs> it all has to do with the movie. You know, it's not, it's not the fault of the, the rivers, but you know, sometimes they can spin right. gold out of a complete turd. And sometimes the movie just can't be beaten. You know, <laughs> it's like with, uh, like what like famously like what mo- most people consider the worst movie they ever did was Mono's The Hands of Fate. I disagree. I don't think it's the worst movie they ever did, but it's so funny that you get over it. If you had to yeah. watch that movie without Mystery Science Theater, which I have also <laughs> done, it's miserable. So <laughs> What's the missing episode? Um, when they, so before they went to Comedy Central, they were on a UHF station in Minneapolis, KTMA, and I, and there's, I want to say 12 episodes of that, something like that, 12 or 13. Um, and I believe episode two was just like either never recorded or they never could find it again. And when Shout Factory bought the, they basically bought the IP. They bought Mystery Science Theater from Best Brains. Um, mm-hmm. They got like all of the master tapes all the way back to KTMA. And at that time, there was like three or four missing episodes. And they released the missing episodes to like the Kickstarter backers on the Mystery Science Theater, uh, the the Netflix redo oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I got those missing episodes back then, and those are like in, they're in broadcast quality, like they're in Betamax quality. So, you know, not like they were remastered or anything, but like they're decent. Um, most of the KTMA stuff I have is like someone that happened to VHS copy it off TV on a UHF station that night that has it. So... (laughs) Um, and those KTMA episodes are not like those aren't ones to go out and look for unless you're a super <laughs> big fan of the show. Um, they did a lot of it improvised and there's lots of them that have like five minutes of nothing, like no jokes. They're just like there. Um, <laughs> Tom Servo started out as a character named Beeper and all he did was <laughs> beep. <laughs> so the show like kind of found its way um, and really the first season on Comedy Central is not great either it's not until like really ep- season two or three that they kind of get into the groove of of doing the show well 
when they got rid of Josh Weinstein. He wasn't the problem, but I mean, it just kind of <laughs> timed out that way. He wasn't the problem, but um, no, it was more about like how many jokes they were making per minute, um, that sort of thing, and having enough writers and stuff like that. So, sorry, didn't mean to hijack. <laughs> I would assume licensing better movies to actually riff in the first place had a lot to do with it too, because there's a cost behind that, isn't there? Yeah, and that's that's one of the weird things about collecting mystery science theater, and one of the reasons why. They've always, you know, at the end of a lot of the episodes, it says keep circulating the tapes because I can own a copy that I got off a of TV. That's legal, but I can't like print that and sell that and neither can they. Um, and so for a lot of the movies that they did, like Comedy Central or the Sci-Fi Channel or Netflix had the rights when they put it up there, but it's not forever and so, like, um, there's even been movies that they've released on DVD that they've had to delist from the catalog because they can't, they don't maintain the rights to them anymore. Like, uh, a bunch of the, they did a bunch of, uh, I think, Gigan, Gigan or Gorgo or something like that, like some knockoff Godzilla stuff. Not Gamera. It wasn't Gamera, did, I don't think. I they think did they Gamera. Did. They did Gamera. Yeah, they did a lot of Gamera. <laughs> but they, they lost like a couple of episodes in that region because of copyright issues. And then there's some insane woman who like inherited the film rights to like a whole bunch of terrible B-movies who <laughs> is just not, she doesn't get it and she doesn't give anyone the rights to those movies. So like those will never be released. But we have the, we have the, the tapes. We have the, you know, the the bootlegs or the, the VHS copies that people made. So I've been watching uh, since yesterday was LV426 day, uh, which is Zach and his girlfriend were here. I watched, uh, I watched Alien and Aliens. That was great. Um, <laughs> but out, outside of that, uh, I just started Chernobyl. Um, That's a good show. Uh, I'm second episode in. I'm I'm pretty hooked. I'm probably gonna kill that off tonight after we finish this. But uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, but that's that's about all I've had time to watch lately. Yeah, I would have binged Chernobyl if I had started it after it was all out. But because HBO released it weekly, I I watched it every week. Um, it was like the big after Game of Thrones was over, like they, they sort of led people into it. It's like, okay, Game of Thrones is over. We've got to get something else up there. And Chernobyl was the new Sunday night. Actually, I think they put it out on Mondays, but it was like their new thing that they were pushing at the time. So, Is it behind the paywall still? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I think it is on other services now, though. Like, I know McMillions is on Amazon now. You can watch McMillions on Hulu as well. Yeah. So, Chernobyl, I think think they might be putting that on more places than just HBO. Cool. I want to see it. I just don't have HBO. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, So, me this past week, uh, my friends and I are continuing our 
trip through childhood movies on Disney Plus. Um, and keep in mind, I did not get a say in this at all. <laughs> this is just me going along with the crowd. That darn cat, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Christina Ricci, uh, Dougie Doug, and um, but Michael McKeon, uh, Peter Boyle, um, like a good supporting cast. Um, just god awful movie though. Just maybe one of the worst things I've seen recently. Um, yeah. I would not recommend it if you guys were curious, and I know you were. <laughs> but don't watch it. <laughs> but but the old but, version is one of the very first things I watched on Disney Plus. Was oh, the old one? Yeah, right. The I old mean, why couldn't great. we watch that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, that one. That one's fantastic. I don't. I don't know that I've seen a remake version, but I I love Christina Ricci. Sure. <laughs> I asked, like, is this like? Casper era Christina Ricci or legal and hot Christina Ricci? And he's like, no, it's Casper. It's Casper. I was like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What has she been up to? <laughs> has, she, has she been in anything lately? I I just saw her in something. She's been doing some TV recently. Um, she she did a Lizzie Borden series. Oh right, yeah. But I saw her. I saw her promoting something recently. I can't remember what it was. She was out there doing her thing. Might have just been a Wednesday. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so we watched this movie, Prospect. Oh, Aaron's still laughing at my joke. Okay. Um, we watched this movie, Prospect, uh, that Josh selected. Um, have any of you seen it before? Apart from Josh. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, so, Nathan, why don't you start and tell us what you thought of it? Um, you know, the poster kind of was a misnomer, I think. I, I saw the poster for this, and I thought, oh, this just look, looks like another dark, dreadful sci-fi thing. And I was kind of dreading watching it. I thought, oh, this is just going to be a bunch of stupid violence in space. It's not going to be very good. Um, and it really wasn't like that at all. In fact, what it reminded me a lot of is I, I kind of felt like it almost could have been a, like a spinoff in the spirit of, um, Firefly. Like it's got very much like a wild west and space feel, but more than that, like the universe building that goes on in this movie is pretty, pretty impressive. Really? Like the art direction's really neat. They create their own weird language through some of the, at least the, the writing on it. So they went to a lot of trouble to kind of make this on a budget, I think, but make this movie feel like its own thing and, and its own little place in the world and universe. So I really appreciated that about it. Um, I, as far as the story goes, um, it was fine. It, it didn't like excite me, but I, but I enjoyed the universe building and um, thought that the, the story was at least more interesting than I was expecting. So I, I enjoyed it overall. Aaron, how about you? Yeah, there, there's not much to the story here. They just kind of land, and then boom, it takes off. Like things go wrong, and then they have to deal with it. Um, I really like Pedro Pascal, so I was happy to see him in it. Um, I, I didn't recognize anyone else except for uh, one of the natives that they meet along the way 
that tries to barter for the girl. Um, yeah, Andrei Rojo from yeah The Wire. Yes, and uh, it, it was it was so interesting. Like they didn't give you much to go on, but like by the end of the movie, I cared for these characters and I wanted to know so much more about the world that they inhabit. Uh, and it kind of just like left me sad when the movie ended. I was like, I want more, I want more. And, um, it it was, it was pretty good. They're really, these directors, uh, I think they wrote it as well. Um, they, they are really good at world building. That's that's how I felt about the movie. Yeah, so I I was watching it, and I'll say this because Zach isn't here to say it. Um, we got um, this little like side story version of the Mandalorian, except <laughs> you can see his face because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it is Pedro Pascal that plays the Mandalorian. Uh, I uh, when it when it started up and it was the girl and Jay Duplass, I was like, "Please God, don't let Jay Duplass be through this whole movie." <laughs> he annoys the crap out of me. He's probably a really nice guy, but I didn't recognize him. What else is he from? I, uh, One of the Duplass brothers. Yeah, he's so in he's all the Duplass brothers movies. He was in Transparent. Um, I don't know. I think he mostly he directs a lot, a lot of movies. Yeah, too, I think yeah. he mostly annoyed me in Transparent, but that was a mostly annoying show. So, <laughs> um, so I was I was happy when he died early, um, <laughs> and then Pedro Pascal shows up, and I do see kind of what you guys were saying about like um, the way his dialogue is written is very similar to the way that Mal would talk on Firefly. Absolutely. But it's not as funny. It's just really oh. erudite and flowery language, I guess. Um, that sort of thing. And that does kind of give it that Old West feel because that's how people talked back in the 1800s and like buying time for themselves when they're outnumbered and outgunned and that sort of thing. Um, the whole... Uh, uh, gooey jewel sack subplot <laughs> was weird and interesting. Um, and I'm glad that the movie didn't end up being about that. That that's not <laughs> what the whole thing was about. Um, and what else? Uh, there were some things with the production that I was really impressed by. Um, all of that purple dust that's everywhere, the like poisonous purple dust, was practically done. Um, they shot dust in front of a camera and then superimposed that over the image that they were doing in post. So it's real dust that they just made look purple and made it look like it was in the forest around them all the time, which is why it never like lands or collects on anything. It's always just sort of out of focus in the camera, but it looks, it looks convincing. I looked up these directors on IMDb, and their filmography said that 
about five or six years prior to this movie, they did a short film called Prospect. Have you seen that as well? I was literally watching it just now uh, to, because I had never seen it before. Um, it's 14 so minutes about, long. Yeah, I'm only halfway through. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I realized right before we started, I was like, maybe they'll be a few minutes late and I can finish this short. But um, it uh, they do the dust thing in that also. That's cool. Um, but it, it doesn't look purple, though. It's just dusty dust, you know, mm-hmm. normal colored dust. Um, but uh, and so far, it's just her and the dad. Um, different actors, of course. But um, I don't know if it... It doesn't have enough time to take a huge twist, but maybe by the end of the short, he's dead. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's kind sorry. of the plot. Like, the first act of the movie is kind of the same as the plot of the short. Short, yeah. That would make sense. Like, they don't have the whole the whole Pedro Pascal part of it isn't there, I don't think. Um, certainly not the whole, like... How much for the women? How much for the little girl scene? That's not in there. <laughs> right. um, mercenary fights, probably. Mercenary fights not in there. They didn't have the budget oh. for that. Oh my god! That that one woman that kept like cranking up the radio. I was like, she's got to go. <laughs> she she just like they need to get rid of her. I did appreciate like the the weird Japanese pop or whatever that the girl was listening to throughout the thing. That that was a nice touch of like otherworldly, at least for us, uh, music that kind of played into the universe quite a bit. That was another Firefly feeling thing to me in there that that like Asian yeah. pop culture had taken over the world sort of at some point. Yeah, and th- yeah, yeah, that's a it's a theory um, that a lot of sci-fi deals with, um, like in. Um, uh, have you ever read uh, The Diamond Age is the name of the book. The Diamond Age, a young, a young lady's illustrated primer by Neil Stevenson. Um, that book, and he's got another one uh, called The Cryptonomicon. And basically what they, what they figured out is that, uh, or what, they, what he infers in his sci-fi is that in the future, there's basically the United States of English speaking countries and China. And that's it. That's all that's left of, (laughs) of like countries or different factions or that sort of thing. But that because that's the case, people in both factions tend to speak both languages and they certainly know like idiomatic things of both languages. So like it wouldn't be strange for a teenage girl in the U S to be a fan of, a Chinese pop group, you know, sort of thing. Hmm. How old is that book? Nineties. Uh, okay. Something like that. I've heard that name. I've heard that author's name. I've never read any of his stuff. Yeah. 95. Uh, his stuff is like, it's really good. Uh, you kind of have to pick which ones you're going to, like you kind of need to know a little bit about him going in, going into him because he has books that are really interesting and he has books that are just they seem like they're written to be long just to be long um, mm. he's one of those authors that like uh, he's really good at creating a world 
and he has no idea what to do with it. <laughs> so, um, the Diamond Age, I think, is one of the exceptions to that. I think it's a really interesting story and idea. Um, it does not have a like fantastic tied up in a bow ending, but it's the closest mm. I think he comes with his books to doing that. Cool. So. I've listened to the audiobook version of that a couple of times after I've read it. So that's one that I go back to every once in a while. Check it out. So, Josh, why did you prospect us? <laughs> um, I think it's my yearbook was called that. Um, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed, uh, like Nathan was saying, the world building. And, uh, and both of you, actually, um, were talking about the world building of it. The thought put into, like, did you have to throw a bullet at somebody, essentially, with compressed air it, so you wouldn't ignite the entire you know, atmosphere that you're working in. Um, the tethers to keep, to keep them together, um, to keep them breathing when they're sharing like an air filter. Um, the, the, all the different radio channels and stuff. I just, all those little touches added up, um, and made it very, uh, lived in for me. And, uh, uh, I like that better than like shiny, sleek sci-fi, um, like gritty, dirty sci-fi is my genre, I guess. Um, yeah, the other thing is just, it was true grit essentially, I guess, uh, in space with a few, uh, little twists here and there, but, um, enough action to keep me interested. It's not going to change anybody's life, but, uh, it was an entertaining little sci-fi movie, which was all I was aiming for. Yeah. Low budget, true grit's a pretty good way to describe it. Like yeah. or true grit in space, but they they do. I mean, like it is like all about the characters and the world building is all in the dialogue. It's not, you know. I mean, there are the like gooey gem bag things, but there's not a whole lot of like right. you know operatic. Uh, you know, it, it's not trying to be Star Wars. It's not trying to be, or it's not like that. Uh, like a Wachowski's movie or something like that. That's trying right. to make, you know, these massive planetary systems and things go on. <laughs> right. And I, I was wondering what Aaron would think of it too, because of the, uh, the very obvious cord cutting shot at the beginning with them harvesting the, uh, the, the sacks out <laughs> of the, the ground. I was like, Oh, he's just seen something very similar to this in the past, like 48 hours. Um, yeah, in the movie it's I, not as yeah, gross. I, yeah, I really, I really think that this movie should be renamed, or the sequel should be called "Gooey Gym Sacks." <laughs> <laughs> like that is uh. that is the best description I had heard. I was <laughs> like, "What is this?" And and yeah. Well, so we haven't mentioned it on the podcast. Should we share with our listeners what Aaron saw? That would be like that. I had a kid. Like, yeah. <laughs> my, my 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 wife uh, decided that this uh, well the previous weekend that uh, she was going to have a baby girl. So that's uh, that's what my last week and a half has been like. Yet you had time to watch Prospect. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> His gooey gem sack has to sleep sometimes. <laughs> You've just ruined my daughter. 
<laughs> My job is done. <laughs> yeah, there's a. I felt like there was probably, if I dug into it a little more, like some uh, some deep thematic something something about fathers and daughters and surrogate fathers in the family you make and blah blah blah. But um, I, I didn't really take the time to to do that um, to really sit there and, and dig through it. But there's a lot of, like I said, the tethers and then the you know the way they harvest the egg sacks and stuff and it all seems to be pointing to a bigger statement about um you know being a parent or uh something but i don't uh i don't know it'll take a smarter person than i to parse that out he didn't get much time to be a parent he got shot pretty quick yeah and she doesn't have a lot of time to respond to it which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. like the movie doesn't go into like how she feels about it it just keep, it just moves right. on, so that part of it's kind of interesting too. Right, she's like straight into survival mode. Well, yeah, basically. and she's forced like she and Pedro Pascal are forced to basically trust each other at that point mm-hmm. for him to survive and for her to survive. Um, like they need a way off the planet, and they're not going to do it, you know, any other way. And I guess what do they go to the? They go to the, the, bubbles in his crew for like healing stuff, right? <laughs> the like, healing juice, right? Because yeah. his wounds infected, yeah. And, and they make he makes mention uh, when they first see him and and demand that they go put their guns away. He makes mention that they're like some religious zealots, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know more. <laughs> like well, what is uh, what are their beliefs? You know, you you well, don't just drop that bomb on people and walk off. The juice is actually <laughs> heroin. Um, their religion is a twelve step program. Um, this is all this is all descendants of bubbles from the wire. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to see Andre Arroyo pop up in something. Yeah, every time one of the wire guys. Back when Idris Elba wasn't like a thing, was like whenever like, he well, would pop up, yeah, yeah, I'd be like, "Oh my god, this yeah. this shit wouldn't have gone down if Omar was walking the streets." That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I like to imagine that that uh, henchman at the beginning, Pedro Pascal's buddy, is uh, is Omar. Just yeah. you can't see him under the helmet. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> the guy with no lines. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or if this is if this is indeed the Mandalorian spinoff we thought it was, like there's just a Wookiee in there, <laughs> or Baby Yoda's in there. Who knows? It's, it's oh my it's, god, they killed Baby Yoda. <laughs> it's Nick Nolte's character. <laughs> I have spoken. <laughs> no, you haven't. Not in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed it. I uh, I was glad I watched it. It had kind of a slow start. Um, and I, I had to get over my, my J Duplass depression. Um, but I did, and I was actually enjoying him by the time he got killed off. And then it's like, uh, yeah, he wasn't specifically really bad in it. I no, think his character really was a little, he was, he, his character was a little roughly written, uh, just classic bad decision maker on steroids almost, you know, <laughs> but well, they were doing the job they came to do, weren't they? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, he was he was also kind of pushing the boundaries of what they could get away with and get done, and yeah, he was he was she was the pragmatic one, and I mean, she she wanted to move along, and he decided that he wanted to rob that campsite, um, and then she tried to get him to just turn around and leave with that gym sack. Well, she didn't even want to go down. Yeah, she didn't even want to go down because he was like, "Well, but we need to make the money. We got to make this trip count. We haven't done it yet." Yeah. Uh, so he was a risk taker, and therefore he was making some not great decisions for both of them on occasion. Yeah. Yeah, I think in his desperation, he was yeah you know, trying to make some short term moves that would you know benefit in the long term, but she was just worried about getting stuck on that rock and having to live in the purple forest forever. Yeah. Um, he was the developer the weird- of no man's sky and she was actually living in no man's sky. <laughs> um, the, so the only time I thought the, uh, there were, there were two moments. I thought the uh, budget showed a little bit. Um, one was the farting forest part where there were, which I swear was in uh, princess bride maybe or something or uh <laughs> never-ending story there's like a bog of eternal stench in one of those where the the ground seems to just be farting uh and there's a moment where they're passing by some flora and they're like oh or she she thinks it's something like someone coming but it's just the ground farting mm-hmm. and uh doesn't it looked he, really bad doesn't he like compare it to urine or something he, he talks I, about some animal that excretes something and it's just that was a story about something related it was like he was telling a story related to the fact that they were walking through a stinky area and he was Uh like well no imagine i had to like crawl up inside this other thing and then she told the story about how she was the only one small enough to get inside of some creature to harvest the whatever gooey gem sacks it had inside of it oh yeah (laughs) i thought that was her story when she cut his arm off but yeah, that's yeah, right. that's right. She was explaining why she was pretty grizzled for a kid, right? And there's like one bad composite shot where she sits down to watch like a sunset or something that looked uh, not great. But besides that, yeah, I thought the budget they used very wisely. It was like four million or something. Yeah, I didn't see a budget. I saw IMDb said that it had a worldwide gross of like twenty two thousand dollars. So it must have that only played great. at one theater and. Then gone straight to video. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I right. kept looking at the details on the art direction, like the ship that they had and their costumes. And honestly, I mean, it did a pretty good job of passing the sniff test. I I didn't like recognize bottles of Lysol or anything <laughs> random in you know what they were working with and doing or what they were wearing. Yeah, and it all so had that. We, they did a pretty good job. It all had that like, uh, like late 70s early 80s sci-fi thing of feeling lived in like it felt like everything they had was shitty it wasn't like all (laughs) futuristic and awesome it was like they had the shitty you know 10 year old models of everything Mm -hmm. yeah and and minimally digital like there all the stuff was like knobs switches and toggles and things like that yeah it's like the the monochrome monitors all over the nostromo in alien so good that's what everybody will have in the future (laughs) one color and it's green (laughs) 
Which I think is probably, you know, an indication of the budget, but also just their influences on the movie overall, which I don't mind. I think that's pretty good. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than going back to a movie that's 10 years old and seeing what at the time was probably pretty cool digital effects. And you look at it now and you go, oh, that was really not good. <laughs> just because it's it's been so phased out by just basic updates to software and ability to do things. Well, that's why I think this like this movie was smart about how it did everything from the art direction to the effects to, you know, I mean, we talked about the dust, but like everything that they did was very uh because it's so practical like it won't it won't age so bad as something like you know the phantom menace or jupiter ascending which will look bad in i mean it's a bad movie but it'll look bad in five years because it's so cg heavy on that same token there are some sci-fi movies that have suffered um take for instance alien in the original alien you know mother was their ship's computer and it was dos the it was one room that was an entire computer one screen that just it was dos but then they came back and did prequels to it that took place hundreds of years prior and they had way better technology so if they ever did a prequel to a movie like this it makes it kind of hard to show any type of progression i don't think that's true because i think that's a decision that the people that make the prequels make they decide that they want fancy awesome technology in their movie and they're wrong they need to make it you know less i agree i agree but how could you do it like if you're already starting with like sticks taped together and throwing them at things where do you go from there what if you want to do a prequel to alien like don't have um it the the computer doesn't talk um the computer doesn't have you know as much ai as it did in, in the original alien they're I mean, you know, and that's with, what they should have done. I mean, it's a, a, the prequels to Star Wars are a perfect example of that. I mean, they tried too hard to make it everything look all shiny and new, and it took what was a major charm of the original trilogy of Star Wars, which was everything kind of had like a junky feel to it. It was it was very junkyard everything. Like yeah, the only thing that wasn't like was the, the Death Star. Yeah, it was old tech, and that's kind of the charm of it. And and by doing the prequels, what he did in there with crazy, sophisticated robots and droids, and and I mean, not that they didn't have droids in the 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 original trilogy, but they weren't like that. They were right. If it is automatons. It had been one thing <laughs> if like the the uh, the ships in the prequel trilogy looked like the ships in the original trilogy but newer that could have worked but they didn't do that they like completely redesigned everything and made it all better and then somehow they just lost that technology during rogue one (laughs) i mean (laughs) which is like one of the things i love about the tip the tiniest smallest tip of the iceberg of what's wrong with star wars (laughs) like (laughs) it just keeps going well, I think that's one thing I love about The Mandalorian is it's so faithful to the aesthetic 
of the Star Wars universe from the original trilogy the way it was meant to be. I mean, even the even the droids that are in it, that IG-88 droid, is pretty much... I mean, it's a little more action-oriented than, obviously, C-3PO or R2-D2, but it's definitely the way you would imagine that droid would have been from the original trilogy. Yeah, they make everything look like... I mean, it's it's sort of like if they made a movie about, you know, 2004 and every single person had an iPhone in it. <laughs> That's not right. That's not how 2004 was. Like, some right. people had them. Most people had, like, shitty flip phones in 2004. You know, that sort of thing. And so the f- shitty flip phone is that lived-in tech, those beat-up phones from that period that looks right. Um, and the other thing they do on the Mandalorian that makes a huge difference is that instead of um, shooting everything in green screen and then adding all their digital effects in later, they shoot in these insane 3D projection rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. That are just bananas. Like when the camera moves, the screen moves to make the whole 3D effect around it work. And so the actors are seeing it in real time and the camera is seeing it in real time. Um, it's stuff that they came up with when they were doing the Jungle Book, uh, John Favreau Jungle Book movie. And so hmm. that has made shooting that show like a whole different a whole different thing. So Disney original shows are going to be really good uh, as far as like, you know, background effects and CGI because of the use of that. One of the things that they, one of the limitations of that technology um, that they get away with in the Mandalorian is you can't have a giant space battle in that thing. It's not big enough. You know, it's not a football field. It's like a set. So mm-hmm. you can have three or four people interacting or having a fight or something like that, but you can't, you know, you can't have uh, all of the Naboo and all of the... <laughs> All of the gooey gel sacks of Jar Jars running around everywhere. So, um, as far as recommendations and similar movies to this, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's got it's got a bit in common with Firefly. I don't think it's funny like Firefly is. I don't think it has that kind of yeah. charm thing to it. But this, um, this made me think of the movie, uh, at least the way it started, uh, The Road with Viggo Mortensen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I kind of got that feel from it. Good call. What about The Professional? Oh, Leon, nice. Professional so much better than this movie, though. Oh, God, yeah, sure. totally. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. It's like, well, but if you want that dynamic of a criminally... Questionable guy walking around with a woman. I just mean it's one of those things that, underage. Like, have you seen The Professional? You want to be disappointed? Watch Prospect. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like, did this movie have Gary Oldman? No, it did not. <laughs> no, so. it did not. <laughs> Let alone Stanfield. Gary Oldman is Stanfield. Yeah. 
So you're saying we have to lower the quality of our suggestions <laughs> to kind of match the the quality of this movie? Well, of the movies. What is that? Say, what is that saying about how we feel about this movie? It's it's, <laughs> it's good that you mention in when we're talking about all of this Disney stuff and Disney properties. It's good that you mention the professional because Leon Stanfield hasn't got time for this Mickey Mouse bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For a long time, if anyone ever prompted me to say everyone, <laughs> I would just do what that do over mean, the top everyone? take of everyone <laughs> that I will not do right now. Everyone. Get me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone. Yeah. Love that. Love <laughs> yeah. that whole performance. The other one I love, the, other, the, the reading of the line, I haven't got time for this Mickey Mouse bullshit, He's talking to cops, and they're he is a cop, and they're like he's he's explaining to them like what happened and like why he shot this family to death, (laughs) and the way he does it is he looks at them, you see him almost explode, and then he pulls himself back together, and then explodes anyway. So it's (laughs) like I haven't got time. (laughs) It's so great. Not Oldman. He's got a future ahead of him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's one to watch. Well, uh, next time it is my turn to suggest a movie, and I am suggesting the movie Gaslight. Uh, it is the 1944 version, not the 1940 version, but the 44 version with Ingrid Bergman. Um, it's a classic. It's a great old black and white film. It is where the phrase gaslighting comes from. So that should be an interesting one to watch. Um, have any of you seen that one before? I have not. I have not. Okay. Well, it'll be, it'll be new for everybody but me. Um, and that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. Uh, we will see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Thank you.